1: Hi there, and welcome to the Stock Club Podcast, coming to you from the top floor of my Wall Street HQ here in Dublin, Ireland. I'm James, and with me this week is my Wall Street co-founder and chief investor, Emmett Savage. Today we're talking about Tiffany being acquired by Louis Vuitton, Uber losing its London licence, and the two stocks we think Warren Buffett should buy. <laughs> So I suppose we should start off today by wishing happy Thanksgiving to all of our US listeners. Although I suppose when by the time you listen to it, it's probably Black Friday. Emma, just to get us warmed up for today's podcast, can you guess how much money was spent by US consumers last Black Friday? Oh my goodness. Okay. Um one billion dollars. Multiply that by six. Oh, six point $2. two billion dollars was were spent was spent by US consumers last Black Friday. So I'm going to guess that today is going to be a much bigger space in in the US. Um, So speaking of buying things, we have another company from our showroom has been acquired. Um, Earlier this week, Tiffany's was acquired by LVMH. So this is a deal that there's been kind of rumors about for a while. Um, For those who don't know, LVMH is more commonly just called Louis Vuitton. And it's the French company behind a lot of luxury brands like Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, Bulgari and Dior. Um so the deal that was announced on Monday is worth 16.2 billion dollars or about $135 per Tiffany share. At the start of the month the rumors first came out about this deal when LVMH offered Tiffany's an all cash takeover a bit of about $120 a share which would have valued the company at about 14.9 billion. This was rejected but they obviously went back to the negotiating table and struck a deal what do you think of this deal
0: well uh, firstly I was kind of disappointed to see it because while it was our 12th as you said 12th acquisition from our hand selected short list of great stocks uh, 11 of which resulted in great returns for anyone who bought them I was disappointed especially in Tiffany because it was bought on the premise of being a multi-generational brand and that you could buy shares in Tiffany and hold them in your family's wealth casket as it were yeah. for generations yeah, to come well, and that's so no longer is the case well when you
1: think of Tiffany's like it's it's one of those iconic brands that has been around for over 100 years anyway I'm pretty sure oh
0: so. yeah actually I think it's 12th century really is, is when originally uh, originally yeah wow. so it's, it's a super old brand um, the CEO Bernard Arnault I think you pronounce
1: yeah, it yeah CEO of LV,
0: LVMH yeah of LVMH sorry I meant to say was, he is actually renowned for acquisitions and it was seemingly after the acquisition He's, he said, "We are the owner of a colour. It's a pretty rare thing. So clearly, wow. he had his designs on Tiffany and that iconic cobalt, or what, what's the colour? Is it turquoise? They have an yeah. image There probably specific. is a specific brand name. Yeah, there is. But but his th- he, he had an eye on that brand for the longest time, yeah. um, and he is a renowned deal maker and was very. Focused on getting control of Tiffany to join that house of brands, yeah. the greatest iconic premium brands in the world.
1: Well, that's, we were talking about it in the office when the deal came through, and, you know, people were asking, you know, why would you buy Tiffany's? And in, in one word, it is the brand. It it's is just such brand. a powerful yeah. brand. I was reading before we came up that there's actually a black market that operates for the sale of the Tiffany blue boxes. So, n- not talking about the jewelry or anything else Tiffany sells, it's actually people sell the boxes on for, you yeah. know, 15, $50, $60 yeah. just yeah. the boxes. I've heard of that with Apple before yeah. too, I think.
0: Yeah, and it's it, when you think of LVMH, Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy, they have 75 existing premium brands. Yeah. So that is one hell of a roll call of brand names that are up in that bracket that don't discount in a recession, they don't discount per market, they have the pricing power, and that's the great thing about being the owner of a premium product that's perceived as premium. You don't go to a Ferrari showroom on Black Friday Friday, because yeah, exactly. you'll pay the same <laughs> as you would on the first of January. Um, what was really interesting to me was that LVMH did not involve any banks in negotiating uh, its biggest ever deal. So they,
1: th- that that's abnormal for an acquisition like this, is it?
0: It is, yeah. I mean, when you think about the complexity of the acquisition, clearly there's legal complexity, but there's pricing complexity, and uh, that LVMH has now not only got the financial strength, but the acquisition know-how to actually move in and acquire, uh, acquire brands such as Tiffany's without having to involve a third-party advisor whose speciality is acquisition and the yeah. financing thereof
1: So it's probably worth pointing out then that if you are a Tiffany shareholder that this was an all cash deal which means that instead of getting equity in LVMH you're just going to get the cash from the deal whenever it does close into your brokerage account and as you mentioned Tiffany is the 12th stock 12th, to leave yeah. our app yet, yeah. and we have a return of just over 90% on it so not too bad but I think we would have not liked to, to yeah. hang on to it for a little it while. It would have
0: done better had it just sat there for us but that's the way the cookie that's crumbles, the way the
1: cookie crumbles. Uh, Moving on then, and some other pretty big news this week uh, involves a company that's not in our showroom, um, but it's one we talk about an awful lot, that's Uber. So on Monday, it was announced that Transport for London, which is the governing body of the city, had refused the renewal of Uber's operating license in the city. Um, This is pretty big news as London is Uber's largest European market, has about 3.5 million users in the city, and it comes after the, the company was accused by TfL of a pattern of failures on safety and security with regards to passengers. and um, Specifically, the TfL seems to be accusing Uber of allowing over 14,000 journeys by o- drivers operating on falsified accounts. So it appears that maybe some drivers who were suspended or were unable to operate under their own account for a- any other reason, were using friends accounts and just changing the f- uh, profile photo and stuff like this. Um, As anyone who's been kind of keeping up with Uber as of late will know, this isn't Uber's first run-in with authorities in London. So back in 2017, the company had their licence renewal rejected due to their approach in reporting serious criminal offences and driver background checks. So again... This kind of whole question of checking the people who are actually driving these cabs is getting Uber into a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, and when you think about the traditional old world taxi business where a driver needed to be licensed and have specific ID that was handed out by governing body, you can see there's going to be speed bumps in the disentanglement of these industries. Yeah, Um, And in all the platform businesses that are out there parallel to Uber, uh, you can see similar kind of things happening, and on a per market basis. So I, I can't speak to the accuracy of the reason, uh, the reasons that you just explained, James. But what we do know is that behind every old world business is a giant lobbying body who exactly has right. like strengths and influence beyond what is seen and uh, and again I'm implying that there was some kind of uh, darker, deeper influencing force behind it but what I'm actually saying is I just don't know yeah. uh, but it is, a, it is a blow it is a blow to Uber because other markets are going to sit up straight and reconsider what's happening in their markets so the level of of governance if you like per market I think is going to come down pretty heavy now because London is a hell of a big city to lose.
1: Exactly, and I think there is also an element of Uber's past kind of coming back to haunt them in this too. So, um, under the former CEO Travis Kalanick, who also founded the company, Uber had a very kind of abrasive um, image. You know, they they, they did, got in yeah. trouble a lot. They kind yeah. of tended to do things and ask for apologies later. Yes. Um, so sorry, ask for forgiveness later. Yeah. So um, yeah, it seems that you know this might not have been as big of an issue, this, the current problem as past ones, but that just given Uber's um, reputation that authorities are just coming down pretty hard on them. Mm. Um, Personally, talking around the office, I know here in Dublin, we're we're quite close to London. It's it's kind of a a short hop across. And anytime I've been in London, you either use the tube or you use an Uber. There's kind of no other transport to use. So this would be a massive blow. And I can see a lot of actual Londoners not being too happy with it too. So I'm, I'm not convinced that they will be banned from the city.
0: Yeah, actually, I mean, we have a lot of friends. My Wall Street has a lot of friends in London City. Hello, Derek and Daniel and family. <laughs> and they uh, are huge advocates of Uber. And uh, in the past, when I've been over in London uh, on business, I had conversations about the very company and its flotation and stock. And mm. really what I got from those conversations was how integrated Uber is in their lives and and I don't think that you can extract that without a degree of kickback from the wider community so let's just see how it plays out Mm. it's a pity because I think the new Uber CEOs uh, wanted to be like was working for a legacy that was one of cleaning up the whole act
1: yeah there's a lot of damage control there's a lot of
0: damage control he took over I mean like I swear if you're going to take over a job (laughs) why uh, not Uber (laughs) like if you're trying to recover a reputation no better place to start than after Travis Kalanick
1: but yeah (laughs) but it's just I suppose the the long and short of it is it's just another problem for Uber you know they're facing such problems in the domestic market with the likes of Lyft and stuff and they really don't want to be getting in in more trouble in, in European markets I was actually taking a look there Uber doesn't really exist in Ireland Rory was talking about just during the week that we have the Uber app here but it's not Uber X so if you order a cab or whatever from our Uber app you just get a normal taxi it's it's not yeah, the ride sharing right. element no. but I was kind of looking wider across Europe and it the company has already been banned in a few markets in Europe probably most noticeably is in Copenhagen and Denmark oh, have, really? don't allow Uber at all okay. so yeah, it's it's um, it's another and the rationale for, for that band, probably. probably I'm still- not sure. I, th- I think they just from from the outset didn't want yeah. Uber, and it's probably along the same lines of the the usual criticisms they get. Yeah. So one more story that I want to get to before we move on to our company we never talk about is PayPal. So um, last week, PayPal made its largest acquisition ever, buying the shopping and rewards program Honey for four billion dollars. Um, and this is PayPal's fifth acquisition in the last two years and it will insert the payments joint into another stage of the online shoppers journey so what honey do basically is that they find the it's a tool that finds the best deals available for shoppers for certain products online and then when you get to kind of the checkout um part of your your customer journey it automatically inserts all the coupon codes or or deals or whatever else into the into your customer cart i think the really interesting thing about this though is that you know it's it's another acquisition for paypal so five in the last uh two years is pretty significant and PayPal if you can say one thing about them you can say a lot but if you say one thing is they're really really good at acquisitions
0: yeah they are the race to cashless uh, society and the race to dominate your wallet is apparent in pretty much every first world market and paypal had a first mover advantage but they were throttled i suppose by their their corporate owners which at the time was ebay, eBay yeah. um they spun off and then they were free to to really go their own way and i've admired the business as as have you i believe james and many others around my wall street hq i think um they're, what we're seeing here now is going deeper. You know, the need to go deeper in into that wallet is uh, with, with deep analytics is what we're seeing with all these different businesses now. Yeah. And then on the flip side of the coin, uh, if you excuse the pun, I saw Delarue, who were the original PayPal. Delarue is a business that prints paper money. They okay. are the de facto standard in printing paper money you can buy shares in Delarue so if you go to your local central bank certainly on this side of the Atlantic I'm not so certain if Delarue have a global monopoly but Delarue share price over the last five years has been crushed and it is almost now actually sorry it was reported recently that Delarue is on the brink of bankruptcy the guys who print money uh, are nearly bankrupt (laughs) and I just thought well PayPal Square Revolut, take a bow um, because these players together are really damaging now there's there's other elements to the Delarue story seemingly Brexit is hurting them but really uh, there is less printed money required And, and as we see these acquisitions with PayPal and Honey and all the ones that preceded it, Venmo and Braintree and all those other, yeah. like it really is a consolidation of intelligence. Yeah. And that to me is a very disruptive force. Uh, we had a debate over lunch, James, about yeah. the Revolut card and how great it is and why it's great. And next thing, there's conversations happening about uh, about the alternatives. And we, I think we all use PayPal. I think we'll all continue to use it. And um, good luck to them. Yeah, <laughs>
1: and, and absolutely. And with these acquisitions, I think, we're using PayPal even when we don't really knew, know we're using PayPal. So there's the obvious, you know, your PayPal account. But, you know, they they recently bought, I think it was last year, they bought iZettle, which was previously their biggest acquisition ever at $400 million. And iZettle was often called the Swedish Square. So what they do is they provide point of sales technology and invoicing software mm. and stuff like this. So, you know, they're getting both sides of the cash register, the the merchant and the seller. Yeah. And it's, it's just that kind of literally getting a, a tentacle or a, an arm into every aspect of it's, the customer journey. It is journey. amazing. It really impressive. is amazing. Yeah. So that was PayPal. Let's move on now to the company we never talk about. Emmett, this week we're going to discuss Casey's General yeah. Store. So
0: Casey's General Store, let's remind ourselves of who Casey's are and what they do. Uh, Casey's is headquartered, headquartered in Iowa, uh, in the US of course, and it operates more than 2,100 convenience stores in 16 midwestern states and what their business is it's there's almost there's three-thirds to the casey's business Uh, one third is they sell uh, self-service gasoline they have a wide selection of grocery items and then they've an array of freshly prepared food items like pizzas and donuts and subs and sandwiches yeah. um, and they're, they are an impressive business they're the fourth largest convenience store business in America Wow. so they are not just the guys who you go to to fill up the tank they are the fourth largest convenience that's huge that's crazy that is uh, yeah it is amazing considering so their enterprise value circa 7 billion Um. and in the year that was well it is 2019 650 million Customers, so uh, they, they so that they have a big footprint. They're a big operation, and and you know as part of that operation, they. They operate two distribution centers, uh, which basically delivers ninety percent of all the, the the stuff they sell in store and and distributes three quarters of all the fuel they sell. So that's Casey's. Um, we've had it in the app for well, I actually think since we added since we launched my Wall Street, it's up about thirty percent. Yes, since we added it to the app, which I think was in the very earliest days. And for me, i I've, I've found Casey's. The reason I suggest we talk about Casey's today is not only because it's a company we never talk about but because I was on the phone to a very nice mature gentleman in Omaha during the week where in the course of the conversation he lamented not buying Casey's when he first thought about it and he mentioned to me that their pizza is really really good and that it's a brand that's been there most of his life Uh, he drives past Casey's or drives into Casey's on a very regular basis and it reminded me that here in Dublin we don't very often uh, we we don't get exposure to the businesses that we very often analyse and talk about and yeah. experience. It's, and
1: it's one of the things we often say is, you "Yeah, know, buy what you believe in, or or buy the companies yeah. that you interact with most often." But yeah. It, while while that's a good a good kind of thing to say, it can often leave yeah. you. Isolated from other good investments yeah
0: I mean everything we derive about Casey's is from the written word or the occasional conversation yeah Um, and other bigger brands than Casey's are the case like we talk about Square we've analysed Square we've thought about Square I have never seen the Square brand anywhere in Ireland once
1: yeah have you? no I I don't think definitely their um, their cash app and stuff like that like our our, our alternatives are things like Revolut exactly yeah. yeah
0: So there is a creative isolation, uh, I like to call it, by living on an island in the Atlantic where (laughs) it brings advantages as much as it brings disadvantages. And, and, um, And I felt that Casey's was a prime example that in the middle of North America sits fourth biggest retailer and while i've never seen it in my life there's a reasonable chance i never will so um so what's happening with casey so it's a company where a whole lot of stuff doesn't happen like it's a pretty (laughs) sleepy investment so it was relatively interesting that they recently appointed a new ceo darren rebelles who seems who who says he sees great potential for longer term growth he came from the ihop chain, yep. which I think is a pancake house. Yeah, yeah. And again not to be too judgmental I believe it's probably just as well we don't have it in Ireland because <laughs> I did look up to see where IHOP reviews good and um, they're not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well at least the ones I read weren't but we won't certainly judge the man on that because as we well know uh, we've seen former CEOs take over new businesses like Taco Bell's former CEO took over Chipotle and drove
1: the best example you could I mean he
0: drove Chipotle to Dizzying Heights when he took over so bringing in a new CEO with stripes on their arm from a previous chain can have a very transformative and refreshing effect on a business and, and I would say specifically multiples like Casey's But I'm not excited by it. I wouldn't be a huge buyer of Casey's right now. Multiple of sales. Like, I I think uh, I did a quick back of the envelope last night. It's trading about 40 times adjusted earnings. Okay. Um, And that's well above its historic average, um, uh, which tends to be between, I don't know, about 30-fold. So, so I think that the business is really uh, hanging its hat, as it were, on a couple of new strategies. Okay. But at the end of the day, what Casey's does and one third of its revenue is gasoline, fresh food and groceries. And and there's only so many ways to innovate there. But specifically, where the new CEO sees um, the ability to widen his share of the wallet is, is with a fleet card or a loyalty card. Yeah. Which, as Again, you know, worked for Chipotle. Worked for Chipotle. It works for Ulta Salon. It works yeah. for Starbucks. It works for businesses. Uh, I think it's uh, almost uniquely North American strategic um pri- priority i over again on this side of the world, they don't see so much customer loyalty from programs. You yeah, know? not not exactly. No, I think you, you, it's more of an American thing.
1: You could kind of get stamps on a card when you get like ten coffees and so yeah, like and that. the stamps <laughs> lie all over your wallets and yeah. the drawers in your office.
0: And the second, so they they their fleet card is the first avenue for growth that that they see, and and the other is is price optimization with a whole bunch of fancy software. Uh, yeah, to put technical language around it. So, um. So so I think that Casey's going to have to do more to renovate its existing stores from what I can see and to upgrade its commercial fuel business. So there's there's quite a lot of work to be done. I, yeah. I don't see Casey's... I think it will continue to be a fine stock yeah. that pays a dividend, that does well. It doesn't have a great disruptor uh, sitting in the sidelines. And while I... Let me just get the statistic here. I have it written down somewhere, but like most of their stores lion population very lowly low yeah, populated I think they're I-
1: mainly based in the the midwest kind of region
0: I think strategically they choose to go into areas with a low population okay. so it's uncontested yeah marketplace and, and uh, I don't have the, the figures right to hand at the moment but yeah they, they have a good strategy they've executed against it well it has returned for people it's a safe
1: stock yeah. If you ask me I Definitely one to keep an eye it's on With new CEO I It is yeah
0: It is I mean so From 2016 uh, They've steadily increased Their revenue mm. Revenue has grown From around 6 billion In 2016 to around 8 billion in 2019 yeah. in a steady step upwards not blowing, um, your socks off, but. not blowing your socks off but hey um it's it's a nice business and and it is anything but a SaaS. and we spent a lot of time talking about software as a service companies and yeah. this is the the inverse of that. that
1: that's a great point that you know <laughs> SaaS companies and, and technology companies tend to be very exciting but you can't build your portfolio just on those either yeah yeah cool so that was casey's general store um Just to talk about a few of the things in the My Wall Street app at the moment. We've had a great run of new stock additions, with November's stock up more than 5% since we added it, and October's edition up nearly 30% since we added it. Um, Our new stock of the month selection is ready to go live on Monday. This is a financial services company that's going from strength to strength in an increasingly cashless world, just what we were talking about, Emmett. Um, Our last stock of the month is already up more than 16% since we picked it, so make sure to log into My Wall Street on Monday to check this one out. Um, I'm also delighted to announce that we have a brand new service coming to the My Wall Street universe in the next few weeks. Emmett, do you want to say a few words?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. So, well, I've been fortunate enough to have enjoyed some good long-term returns in my investing life. Uh, like specifically, my Hager, our compounded annual growth rate has been 21% for 19 years versus single digits for the benchmark S&P 500 in the same period and as you all know I'm not inordinately intelligent I'm just quite obsessed <laughs> with the with the subject so horizon our new product is is a project where I'm going to start with cash and build a portfolio from scratch in the hope and intention that I can sustain my 20 year returns for the next 12 years and that would imply 10xing my money multiplying my money my investment if you like by 10 Uh, in that time frame so basically this is a long term wealth creation project and is singularly the most requested project since we started My Wall Street yeah Um, so this product has been something that we just have heard month in and month out from people which is they deeply value the products we've brought to market but you know what? What are those guys doing? Yeah, And exactly. this is what this guy is doing. It's hugely time-consuming. Horizon uh, at this moment in life is consuming me. I'm reading and researching stocks night and day. Um, it's something that's really personal because yeah. I'm investing a level of money that's not insignificant to my household. It's a lot of money to me. It's a lot of money uh, to my home. Um, and uh, and therefore, I. You know, it is me managing my money, and people uh, effectively can look over my shoulder. If they choose to copy, that's their business. But I think that this is something I'm very excited about, and I've spotted a few stocks and opportunities that I'm deeply getting into at the moment. Um, and because it's a 12-year project, it's 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 the very it's a very real it's a very real piece of work for me.
1: Yeah. So so to kind of put it beside the, the My Wall Street app at the moment, whereas My Wall Street is a a shortlist that we curate yeah. um, regularly yeah. of stocks we really like and we're watching right now. This is stocks you are actively buying in. It's a, it's a peek yeah. into a portfolio. Pretty yeah,
0: much. I'm, I mean, the my Wall Street app. I I will go to my grave believing it was the greatest value product ever brought to market. Okay, simple as that. Yeah, because we spend so much work building a short list of some ten thousand listed companies to one hundred, and at the end of each month we appoint our one favorite, and you yeah. can live a very successful financial life. I believe, by just simply looking at stock in a month every month. Yeah. But Horizon is different because when it comes to the practicalities of, well, how much you're buying of this stock and when, that's what I'm personally doing. I'm declaring how much money I'm putting in, why, when. We stick to a publishing schedule in the My Wall Street app because you must. Uh, you, yeah. know, you need a predictability to a product that only costs 10 bucks a month. But for this, I will be buying when the time is right. I will be buying on dips. I will be using some other investment opportunities that just wouldn't be safe enough for my Wall Street app. So small cap companies, probably uh, now and again, will use options. Mm. You know, okay, yeah. but like in English mustard, very, very, very sparingly. <laughs> uh, it's a long term project, and I have to acknowledge it's launching. At the highest point in the history of the stock market yeah so I'm not gonna rush out and plow every penny I've got into 12 stocks in the first week or month what this is gonna do is deliver yeah. returns and that's uh, the basic bottom line with horizon it's not I'm managing someone else's money I'm managing mine and you can rest assured that my number one goal is to maximize returns and of nothing cool. else I'll be obsessed on that
1: <laughs> exactly uh, so that's horizon if you want some more information about horizon And if you want to sign up to our special introductory offer pricing, just follow the link into the notes for today's show. Right, let's move on to Jargon Busters. So we actually have one question for this week's Jargon Busters. And I suppose it's to kind of do with um, all the, the, the turnover in CEOs. So I read somewhere before we came up here that 2019 has been the highest year of CEO turnover in, I think, the history of the stock market. Is that so? Yeah. So... Um, Ivan sent us in an email and asked when CEOs are removed or step down but are then put as chairman of the company, what's the difference? So I suppose if you if you're thinking in recent news, you're thinking of people like Kevin Plank at Under Armour or Adam Newman at, at WeWork, although I think he's completely departed the company now. But when someone when a CEO is stepped down willingly or otherwise, but then become chairman, is there really any difference?
0: There is a difference. Yeah. Uh, the, the governance responsibilities of the two roles is different. Uh, and I'm not going to pull out the Institute of Directors rulebook. But a CEO is in the thick of the action day in, day out, seven days a week. Yeah. And has all the heads of the sea level report to her or him. So they have a far more in-depth view of what's happening and will keep a tighter eye on the things relevant to this week, this month, this quarter mm. a chairperson is supposed to be more removed and less involved in the detail and generally not involved in the day-to-day running of the business and can therefore take a, a more strategic view and provide leadership to the board and um, the CEO r- will generally report to the chairperson and, and so the chair has I suppose greater uh, power but uh, less control if you if, if that yeah, makes less sense involved maybe. less involvement yeah. yeah so um the chairperson would be less concerned about new recruits than yeah. she might be involved uh, concerned about how are we looking in three years from now the strategic objectives of the business and the ability to get there yeah um so to the question specifically if a founding ceo leaves a business and becomes the chairperson Mm, you have to think well they're really just keeping an eye on their baby yeah and you know? I,
1: I remember when we, again to talk about Chipotle but I remember when Steve L stepped out as mm. CEO and became chairman I remember there was a lot of worries that you know he was kind of still going to be too hands on with it with his yeah. baby the, the company yeah. he built yeah. thankfully that wasn't the case but yeah. it also appears to me to be it's a natural progression I imagine yeah. from any founding CEOs that's pressure I can yeah. tell you <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, the, uh, yeah I, I can see the where if the, if it's done in the right spirit Yeah, I think it's a very good thing. So if you take the Steve Ells example, Mm. um, and I'm not privy to actually what happened there, but there was a point of realization in his head or those around him that he was not the man to bring the business forward. And as the as the founder, you truly only want this business to succeed. That's it. So if someone said to me as a founder of my Wall Street, excuse me, my experience is A, B, and C, and it's way better than yours. I'd be like here, have a seat, I'm gonna go become the chair. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. all I want from my Wall Street is for it to succeed. Yeah. And if I had to leave this country for it to succeed and never talk of it again, I would do so. That la type of passion only comes, I think, from a founding CEO. Yeah, yeah. Um and um so I can't But help think that when a founding CEO leaves and becomes a chair, it's because she or he has come to the conclusion that it's for the betterment of the business. So I frankly would not be as worried about it as the constant commentators who will write pieces about this as tantamount to corruption. I don't believe it is.
1: Okay, cool. That That was a good answer. So, Ivan, I hope that answered your question. Uh, Let's move on to the elevator pitch now. So as you have probably noticed at this stage, it's only me and Emmett here today. There's no Rory. Rory is
0: sitting quietly in the corner. (laughs) here refusing to speak to us.
1: So um, I'm going to step in for this week's elevator pitch. And the pitch is so in its recent earnings report, we learned that Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway is sitting on a cash pile of about 128 billion dollars. Um, and the question many people are asking is, when is he going to spend it or what is he going to spend it on first? So the question I asked was, if you were Warren Buffett, what company would you be looking at to buy? Um, You go
0: first, James. <laughs>
1: thanks. So uh, I'm going to give myself 30 seconds um, because I don't know if I can talk for much more than 30 <laughs> seconds. But uh, the company I have picked is FedEx. So. Not not the highest performing company of as of late, but I think that if you're picking a company for Warren Buffett, or if you yourself are Warren Buffett in some uh, alternate uh, universe, you have to make sure it's a company you understand. That's one of the big markers he always uses for his investments. So Berkshire Hathaway already has a stake in a few logistic companies, including UPS, which is quite similar um, to FedEx, which shows that he definitely understands the business. Um, he also has significant holdings in other kind of um, freight and, and airline companies like American Airlines and Southwest Airlines and things like that, which all ties somewhat into FedEx's business. Um, as I mentioned, FedEx stock has been hammered recently over concerns about Amazon doing their own shipping and things like that, but I think, as we've talked about quite a lot inadvertently on this podcast, that the rising e-commerce tide is going to lift all boats eventually, and that people are still going to get their their shoes and their, their Black Friday deals delivered to their door, so mm. I think FedEx is over the long run a good investment for Warren Buffett
0: nice well I have two answers one is tongue in cheek and the other I suppose (laughs) is less tongue in cheek so um, the first answer which is a little bit smug and I mean it is uh, if I was Warren Buffett I'd buy my Wall Street Okay. because we'd improve his returns
1: (laughs) there you go I hope you're listening (laughs) (laughs) Warren
0: how long did that take 30 seconds (laughs) Uh, I suppose the other is one I've admired but Warren Buffett buys what he likes it doesn't have to be a publicly listed business Uh, I think Airbnb is the is the birth not the birth it's a mega brand yeah uh, and it's a mega brand in the waiting and i think that they're doing something very special i don't like to hear them discussed in the same conversation as uber so i i just think airbnb is a really really good business culturally and uh, in what they're doing and how they're doing it and how it's run so yeah i'd buy airbnb
1: how what was airbnb's last valuation next oh valuation? you have me there
0: i I think it puts like I'm 30 gonna, billion, I 30 billion I have 30 billion yeah. I have 50 billion I'm not too sure I know there was a big check went in I think 30 billion, so Yeah, billion he'd,
1: he'd have a bit of change left over He'd anyway. have a little change <laughs> left over Yeah
0: Well he could use it from My Wall Street Yeah
1: there we go <laughs> um, So that's about it from this week's Stock Club uh, Don't forget about all the great new stuff in the My Wall Street app at the moment um, and if there's anything you want us to discuss or explain on the next episode please make sure to get in touch You can catch us on Twitter that's at My Wall Street HQ or email us at pod at mywallstreet.com. That's P-O-D at mywallstreet, M-Y-W-A-L-L-S-T dot com. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Stock Club too. And if you're enjoying it, please leave a review or um, a rating for us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Uh, From me and Emmett, happy investing and happy Thanksgiving.